Richard Simmons in studio with us this week. Probably not the Richard Simmons you immediately thought of from the 80s. No, this one is the founding director of the Center for Executive Leadership, which is a ministry uh, that provides counseling to businessmen. It's a very unique ministry. Uh, we get to hear his story uh, and how he's kind of grown into uh, the man he is today, the husband, the father, uh, and, the, and the man who's counseled many, many businessmen here in Birmingham. You don't want to miss it. You're being lied to more than any generation in the history of the world. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. We want to have good journalism that lasts. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and the host of the podcast, joined by my fabulous, I've got a new adjective for him every week, <laughs> yes. uh, co-host, uh, Mr. Ray Mellick, who's also the editor-in-chief here. You're, just a, you're just a walking thesaurus. Aren't <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know about dinosaurs, thesaurus. <laughs> oh, wait. So um, I'm the dinosaur. You're you are the, the dinosaur yeah. and I'm the thesaurus. Got it. All right. We're, we've got it there. We've got a, a great show for you today um, in studio. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Richard Simmons. Um, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Glad to do it, Brian. So Richard is uh, the founding director of the Center for Executive Leadership. It's a faith-based ministry in Birmingham uh, focused on counseling businessmen and professionals, which he started in 2001. Uh, Richard and the Center of Executive Leadership team currently meet weekly with over 500 people in small groups and one-on-one studies and coaching sessions in the Birmingham area. Uh, Richard's also a best-selling author of numerous books, and he is married with three children. Is that all accurate? That's correct. Okay, good. You got it. really good about that. Man, whew. That's over. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we're super glad to, to, to have you joining us. We've got a great conversation for you guys. Before we jump into that, Always want to tell you where you can find us. You can go to uh, YouTube, Spotify. Um, what's the other one? Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Do it. Apple Podcasts. Go there. Um, subscribe. Click the bell so that you're getting notifications anytime we publish new content. Um, leave a five star review. Tell everyone how much you love the podcast because we know you do. Uh, also, the most important, eighteen nineteen news. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I can't forget that. Go there. There's a red button at the top of the website that says subscribe. Um, you'll be asked to give your email address and we won't sell your information. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, and what you get in return for that, giving us your email address is you get, um, the morning edition that we give out. It's our daily newsletter it comes to your inbox at seven forty-five every morning. All the news that you need to know, all the opinions that matter and all the podcasts <laughs> that we publish, uh, straight to your inbox, like a morning edition in the days of old newspaper back where the dinosaurs from, uh, that's the vision. So, um, with that, we shall go ahead and get started. So, um, Richard, I, uh, I'm really excited to have you on and really excited that, that, that you write for us. And, and so Richard, um, probably, uh, the most important thing that I didn't mention is he writes for 1819 news. Absolutely. Yeah. Every yeah. Saturday morning, every yeah. Saturday morning he's a, a regular contributor for our weekend edition. And I'll be honest when, uh, our chairman, Mark peoples recommended that we get you involved and he kind of explained a little bit of what you do. And, and I'm kind of a, I don't know. Uh, I take theology very seriously. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he started kind of describing, I'm like, ah, I don't know, I'm kind of particular about, you know, who I want to write about spiritual things. Cause that stuff matters. Like it matters. Yes. I don't want someone writing milk toast, squishy stuff, you know? And, uh, <laughs> I was a little bit hesitant and then he's like, no, no, it's going to be fine. You know, Ray's like, no, absolutely. You got to do it. And, um, Stephanie Smith is a good friend of ours. Um, she said, no, it's good. And then I started reading your stuff, and I was just blown away oh, great. by Thank you. Uh, the theological precision and heart and soul and just everything you do. 
Um, very, very, very encouraged by it and uh, appreciate your writings and, and your ministry. Thank you. I appreciate that, Brian. Yeah. Very much. So um, let's talk. One of the big things we always do here is we talk uh, about story. We, we let people tell their stories. I think that's the best way to get to know someone uh, is to hear their stories. So talk sure. to us about you, where you were born, your parents, where you grew up, all that good stuff, and, and how you got to be where you are today. Well, I, I appreciate this opportunity. It's been a while since I've shared my story at length, and I was thinking about that this morning. But uh, I was born uh, December 15th, 1953. I'm 68 years old in, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I grew up in Mountain Brook. Um, I had something really unusual happen when I was 11. Uh, my mom passed away from cancer. Mm. And I, did, I, I knew she was sick, but I didn't know she was going to, to die until, until my dad uh, dropped the news on me. And my, I have two siblings. And that was really unusual as an 11-year-old, having to kind of contend with that and think about death and dying. And even though I, I look back, I think kids are fairly resilient. I don't know that they go through the kind of grieving process like maybe my dad had to go through. Yeah. Um, but uh, the good news is... Um, about a year and a half later, he remarried and married a wonderful woman. Um, in fact, her birthday's today, and she's uh, uh, she's been my mother for 55 years, and she had three children. Oh wow! And so we had a uh, a family of eight. And um, you know, my growing up, I was into sports. Um, I was into girls. Uh, I was not really into academics. Um, uh, I made good enough grades to get by. Yeah, and was not really that interested in learning, and so um, I was able to get into a, a really good college. It's called uh, the University of the South at Swanee. It's a uh, kind of a liberal college, but it was a, a really good place for me to go. In fact, I, I, I became a Christian while I was up there. A lot of people find that hard to believe, but uh, um, it, it did happen. It just shows God will follow you anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, but one thing that did happen while I was at school, I'll never forget one of the first days of class as a freshman. Um, I uh, it was a math class, and I, I remember uh, sitting in that class, listening to him tell us about what the the course would be like, and then I figured he'd say, "And here's your homework, and and let us go." Well, he talked for five minutes and said, "You know." open your book, and he starts lecturing. And all the students around me, I mean, they, he, I could tell they were really into this. And it scared me. I remember it, I had this real fear that I was going to flunk out. Mm. And it motivated me, though, to really study <laughs> for the first time. And I studied, uh, I studied really diligently, and I began to learn. And that's really, I think, when I began to have this great love for learning that I still have today. And so I'm always grateful for that experience because I can remember it so well. And I made, I made good grades. So uh, I realized I was not, uh, it, just, it, just, it changed a lot for me and my perspective. Um, I'd even, I, I majored in economics. Um, I thought that I might go out and get my PhD and teach economics. Um, but I really was kind of directionless when I was about to, when I was coming to the end of my college uh, years. And my father, who was in the uh, insurance brokerage business, says, I think you could be really good at this. 
um, and in that particular industry. And since I really didn't have anything else going on, I decided to do it and ended up going to graduate school in Atlanta, uh, a place called Georgia State. It's kind of like UAB. And they had a great curriculum on insurance and risk management. And so I, uh, I didn't get my master's degree. I studied. I, I was there for a year. To, took all the property and casualty courses. And then started my career at age 23 uh, here in Birmingham. And it was a, it was a great run for me. Um, but probably one of the most significant things that happened at that time, I was not married. Um, I was asked to work as a volunteer leader with Young Life, which is a, a mm -hmm. teenage ministry. I had no real interest in doing it, but I, they, they persuaded me, and I did, and it absolutely transformed me. It gave me a ministry mindset uh, that really started then and has lasted until you know, today. Wow. And um, just, it, was, it was just a, a, a wonderful experience. It made me realize that I had a gift of teaching and speaking. Um, I worked at Homewood High School which is where I live right now. I live in Homewood, and my kids all went there. But um, we saw a lot of a lot of students come to Christ. Uh, a lot of them still really walking with God today. It's really cool to see. Um, so that was a big deal for me as well. Um, and so I kind of moved forward with my career. Um, I had a good career. Uh, business went well, and I was. Um, uh, we were a part of a public company, and we were a division. And when I was um, 37, I, I became the CEO of the company. Mm. And that was a great opportunity for me. Uh, it was a lot of pressure. But I was able to do the work and the ministry. I, I, I now was really working with businessmen. I was teaching men's Bible studies. I, I, I did Young Life for six years. And I was able to do both because... I wasn't married. Mm. I didn't have children. And um, I think a lot of people were, um, they were wondering if I'd ever get married. Because <laughs> yeah. as the years went by, um, you know, I got into my 30s and I was really busy. I had a full life, but I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. And then at the age of 40, I just turned 40, um, I met this incredible woman. Uh, she was 14 years younger than I was. I was 40. She was 26. And uh, we fell in love. Uh, she was going to graduate school to get a master's degree in, um, uh, it was a master's degree in biblical counseling out in mm. Colorado with Larry Crabb and his, his, the school that he had out there. And so we were separated, but then we, when she finished the program, we got married. And that was life-changing for me, as marriage is. Yeah. And, and <laughs> because of my age, uh, we both agreed we should probably try to have children as quickly as possible. So yeah. I'd be around to watch them graduate from college, which I've watched them all do that, and be around to, Amen. to see them get married and, and whatever. So we, uh, we had children pretty quickly. We, uh, in, uh, 18 months into our marriage, my son was born. And then 18 months later, I had a daughter, and 18 months later, I had another son. And they, uh, the last one just graduated from Sanford, so I'm, they're, they're all out of school now. Um, but I think one of the most significant things that happened um, was I began to realize because of my, my travel schedule with my work, and I love teaching. I had several group studies that I taught. I began to write. That's when I, I guess, first began to write. 
And, um, and now I had a wife and three children. And it really be- it became a problem, uh, my time. And I, I realized something's got to give here. This just didn't, and I, I was really praying for direction. And uh, clearly, I was not going to give up my wife and children. Yeah. And I didn't want to give up ministry. I really loved it. And I found that I did not really love all the travel in my job. As yeah. good of a job it was, as well as, as, well as it paid, I just, I, anyway. And so I felt like God began to give me a vision to start a men's ministry here mm-hmm. in Birmingham. And um, I told my company that I was going to retire to do this. They were very gracious. Uh, they let me stay on kind of as a part-time consultant for a year or two to help me income-wise. Um, but as the ministry really began to flourish, I had a really great board of directors, Mark Peebles as being one of them. Yeah. Um, they convinced me to give up the part-time work with the insurance and do this full-time, which I did. And my intention was for always really just to be me and maybe an admin, admin person or two. Um, but then I had a guy approach me who wanted to leave the bank and do men's ministry. He felt called to do that. A guy named Todd Liscom. Uh, then another guy, Steve Singletary, who was a pastor, um, wanted to come and do men's ministry and do marriage counseling. And so over the years, we have incrementally grown to the point now we have uh, – there's 16 of us. Oh, wow. And our, our real focus is, and this is, if you want to put it simply, uh, is that we, we our, our goal is to help men find their faith and then grow and mature in their faith. And then hopefully they go out and do the same. But then we it's been kind of interesting how it's evolved in that we have two counselors now, um, a guy named Jay Lloyd, who is an outstanding counselor. And then Steve Singletary, who does he does marital counseling. Jay does just kind of general counseling. Um, we've added a, a guy uh, named Brian Pitts, who worked for Samford for a number of years. And Brian focuses on helping men teach and coach and raise their sons. Mm. He's a great ministry. He does a great job. And so many men just really don't know, how do I raise my son in this culture that we live in today? Um, we have just recently um, added a an additional ministry um, focusing on the poor. Uh, it's called Renew Birmingham. And we're really focusing on how to revitalize the poor communities of Birmingham, which is a real bear. I mean, yeah. that, that's not going to, it's not easy. We realize that. Um, but we've just watched, um, uh, you know, Birmingham just kind of slowly deteriorate. It's still, I mean, we're now the third largest city where we, for all these years, we were the largest city in Alabama. Now we're the third largest yeah, uh, we have a we're like in the top five in the nation as far as um, uh, violent deaths for a hundred thousand people. We're like in the top five, and our school system is is really struggling. And so, um, we just have a number of men that have a real interest in doing this, and we've come up with a model, and we just hired a gentleman uh, to come and be our executive director of it. Uh, his name is Jarrell Jones. Um, you guys might want to have him on your program sometime. He's a really he he spent twenty two years in prison. Um, got me beat, and he <laughs> I only spent five. So <laughs> he's a real and he's a real scholar. Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's and he's 
he's got a great plan that we've been working with a, a number. And what we're doing is we're working with um, a number of local nonprofits that are maybe are working in other parts of the city, and we're starting in Inslee. And we hope to really focus on the western part of Birmingham. Mm. And it's going to, to, we're hoping to see real progress, but it, it'll take a couple of years to really accomplish what we want to try to accomplish. What do you think the strategy is? Because one of the things that I noticed the first time I ever heard you speak was at an Empower uh, Ministries oh, event with Dalton, and you yeah. spoke there. And one of the things I love about what they're doing, because the, the challenge to me is um, a lot of times wealthy people feel like they can just throw money at problems to make them go away, and that doesn't work yeah. with you know the, the problems that we have in Birmingham, the problems we have in Montgomery, the problems we have you know in any really major urban area. Yeah. Um, they're not problems you can throw money at. It, right. That doesn't fix it. And so... What do you, what is, um, you said Jarrell is his name? Yeah. What is his kind of overall vision um, for strategy or, you know? Yeah. Well, we can spend the rest of our time on this, but, <laughs> but uh, it's a good question. And, you know, there are five sectors we're working in from housing to workforce development, education, and I could tell you about, about each one of those. But the, the thing that he thinks is so important is social revitalization. He says, you go in the neighborhoods, nobody talks to each other. Mm. Everybody's kind of they're they're looking out their their window all the time. They're 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 living in fear. Yeah. And his his goal is, as he likes to put it, is putting the neighbor back in neighborhood. Mm. And really, he has events where he brings all the people in the communities out. He's having a huge event in Inslee in August, and will basically um, he goes door to door, talking to people. Uh, he said, and he has people that, that will help him do that. He was telling me an interesting story about two little ladies that went and knocked on somebody. And this was a drug dealer. Yeah. And they w welcomed him to the, the community. They said, we want, you know, we want to see, we'd like to see you more. And he moved out. He, did the, he, had, he had no, <laughs> so his years in prison really helped him understand how to build relationships and yeah. how transformative that can be. And by really creating these neighborhoods, he says, you will see violent crime go down. Wow. So um, he, he really would be a good guest on this program. Well, we'll do it. I mean, that's, yeah. now I'm, I'm excited. And so. And his story is so much better than mine. I mean, you know, yeah. it just it'd blow you away to hear it. So yeah. anyway, I'm excited. but that's, that's something new okay. that, that we're doing. And um, uh, we're real excited about where it is a separate 501c3. Everything else that's done is done under the center. Okay. The Center for Executive Leadership. Um, and then the final thing is that we have a publishing company. And we had a gentleman, guy on our board, who approached me probably 10 years ago and said, I want to give you a, a sum of money to, to start this. And so we published, obviously, all of my books. We had had an experience with a publisher who did a, who did a really good job but they didn't promote any of my work. Yeah. They just didn't have the money to do it. And I understood yeah. that. And but they were getting all the proceeds from the sale of really my most popular book and I bought it I've since bought it back. Yeah. But um we just felt like we're going to do the marketing and this is our goal as we as we sell books the money the proceeds that come in I don't take any honorary any uh, royalty at all. Um, we put it back into marketing. And that's what Becky uh, Gray does for us. And okay. it's really helped uh, in our book sales. I mean, it, they, it, they've just they've skyrocketed. And I feel like that uh, 
writing books and publishing books is a big part of our ministry. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, with the, this is the great thing about the written word. You never know where it's going to go. Yeah. You have no idea. It's all of our books are on Amazon and other places as well. And uh, seven or eight years ago, uh, the book, The True Measure of a Man, which is probably, we still sell five, 600 copies of that a month, uh, even though it's been, it's a 10 year old book. Mm. Um, but I was contacted by this lady whose husband, they live in Kansas. And she said, um, we have this small church of farmers and they're all reading your book, The True Measure of a Man. Now, she had somehow found it, gave it to her husband. He bought copies for everybody. There was 40 farmers and they said, would you do a streaming me uh, message um, <laughs> on a Sunday night at church, at, at our church? I said, I mean, I'd be honored to do it. I mean, but uh, how in the world did you get a copy of it? Yeah. And, and she said, well, somebody had given it to me and I have no idea where they got it, but this is in Kansas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was just, it really just struck me that, that the publishing arm of our ministry is very important. Yeah. And we're just seeing that. I can tell you all kinds of stories of, of, uh, of I'll, I'll tell you one more story and then I'll, 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 no, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be done with my story. Um, uh, I spoke, um, I did a Zoom meeting to a big group of men in Arkansas in Little Rock. And um, they promoted all of my books. One of, the, my, one of the books I've written is called Reliable Truth, which is about um, the, the validity of the Bible and the age of skepticism. And they promoted them all, and they, had, they were selling them all. They had the, uh, the audio of it, whatever. That was one of, of, of the, uh, the 11 books that I've done. And um, the guy that's in charge, about a month later, contacted me and said, you're not going to believe this. One of the men that was in the meeting where you were speaking, and he told me his name. If I told you, you would know who he is. He's a very famous football player. Uh, he was an all-pro for five years. Um, he played, uh, well, I, they've asked me not to tell you his name. Yeah. So because uh, the you'll see why. His son, he said, um, raised in a Christian family, his son approached him and his wife and said, Mom and Dad, I don't believe what y'all believe anymore. I, I'm just, I'm, I've given it up. Um, I've, I've rejected it. And the father, to his credit, did not lose his temper. And he just listened. And then they were going to go to a football game, uh, which was about a two or three hour drive from where they were, uh, he and his son. And they stuck in the audio of Reliable Truth. And it was, they, they listened to it all the way to the game and they listened all the way back. And afterwards, the, the son said, Dad, I think I do really believe. Amen. I think That's I really great. do believe. Because yeah. basically, I don't know where he came up with his skepticism, yeah. but it probably wasn't very valid. Yeah. And, and to hear good, solid evidence, I think basically changed his mind. So that's another another way that that God uses a book that I never you know most of this I will I never know about yeah but God has blessed me and and, and given me opportunities to be encouraged with events like this and the 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 the, the farmers in Kansas and yeah. so uh, we keep we keep publishing the books there you go I know we've talked about this before Garrett Congressman Palmer got a box of them to take to D.C. of that book the True Measure of a Man gave that out and uh, really. 
people he's given that to has been a big deal for him up in Washington, D.C. Yeah, he told me that. He, in fact, he told me Jim Jordan has read it yeah. and several other the, of the congressmen up there. So, again, that's, yeah, I've forgotten it. That's another example. Yeah, so. just it, it gets out and people give away books and you never know who it's going to who it's going to read. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, Richard, and, and I, I want to go back because uh, uh, um, I had a guy in a small group that I worked with from Mount Brook, and I'll never forget, he came to me one time. He goes, I'm gonna, I am gonna, I need to quit this church. I said, why? And he goes, everybody here, and this was a Mount Brook church, yeah. you know where I go to church. Yeah. He said, you know, everybody's got their lives together. Everything's great. I'm divorced, and I just don't belong here. And I looked at him, I said, if you think everybody's got their <laughs> life together. But, you, you know, that's what we all sort of sometimes, and I've, I think that the work's great, but even in Mountain Brook, even in, there's a lot of men that just, They've got a secret hurting that's going on, and I, I know you see that. I, I think that's interesting that, of what you're dealing. Talk a little bit about just the, the businessmen, and you're 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 wanting to reach these people that from the outward look very successful and very happy yeah. in their lives. Yeah. You know that's a that's a this is a this is a great topic, and it's 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 huge, and particularly what uh, this gentleman just said. And you're right, um, very few men really have it together. Uh, we fake it really well. <laughs> But just to kind of let you know really how I started the ministry, I, I, I realized, because I was involved in, in teaching businessmen, younger businessmen, is I saw a pattern in men's lives. Um, so many of them coming out of college felt like they have, they have this strategy for life. Um, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to make a lot of money. Uh, I'm going to marry the woman of my dreams. I'm going to have great children. And I'm going to live the American dream. That sounds like a great plan. Yeah, that, that, and that's what most that's what most people think going to happen. And then, ten years goes by. Fifteen years, they 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 get towards midlife, and they begin to realize, work and making a living is difficult. Marriage is difficult, <laughs> and raising children in this culture is difficult. Mm. And you could call it, you know, most people call it a midlife crisis. I always saw it as kind of a spiritual crisis um, that most men had no clue um, what it's all about, particularly the role of, you know, the spiritual dimension of life. And so um, what you just said is, I think, is really spot on in that most men, so many men, live with fears and struggles, uh, depression, but they never tell anybody. They hide it because they feel like real men don't get depressed. Real men don't fear. And so they put up this front that, you know, I've really got it together. And it, it becomes a real, I mean, and there's so many issues in men's lives that really causes uh, them to really struggle with life. Um, uh, for instance, the issue of fear. Uh, the fear of failure is huge. One of the most successful men I know in town told me when his feet hit the ground every morning, he's motiva motivated by one thing, the fear of failure. Um, there's also problems with um, comparison. That's a big thing with men is comparing themselves to, to others and their success with others. And so, you know, and, and we could really kind of go deep into this, um, but just to show you uh, how this is really, I think, my opinion, more of a, a, a men's issue than a women's issue, is it, and this is, this is accurate, eight out of 10 suicides are men. And that should tell you something. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah. I think uh, one thing that, that, that I'm interested in is I know kind of you, you generally kind of, as you went through your story, was there something that um, specifically put counseling men, I know you kind of felt like, okay, you got a ministry mind, you went into it, but was there, was there a certain instance or a certain thing that happened where you kind of realized that you had the gift of counseling or that really, um, I guess, um, and specifically business leaders, like when I, you're like, okay, this is, this is what I'm meant to do. This yeah. is my area of ministry, yeah. Yeah. as you said. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I tell you when it's really, ha- when I guess you could say um, the moment that this really kind of, uh, I guess the vision for this kind of became a reality was when we were going through the economic crisis back in, what, 2009, 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, uh, we, were, we had a number of men in the community that took their lives, people that we knew. Um, we saw depression soaring. Um, so many men were, were experiencing shame because they they felt like they'd failed their families. Um, and they they needed more than just going to a Bible study. Mm. And so fortunately, we had a relationship with Jay Lloyd, who worked over at the time over at Covenant Counseling. And he he and I started talking about him coming and spending all of his time working with men counseling men. And this is so cool. He, um, he started these, you can, I don't know what you want to call them. He started these groups. It's kind of a, it was kind of like a therapy group, but it, it was not for an individual. And he got six or seven men in a group. And so many of these men, if, if I told you their names, you'd be shocked. These are really successful, well-known men. And he got them into, and they're all struggling from depression. And he got them into a room, and he says, I want everybody just to share what's going on in your life. He says, most of them didn't want to say anything. He said, but once one of them finally stepped up and shared, he says, they realize, I'm not the only one that's struggling. And they all began to open up, and they began to talk. And I remember um, it was on Friday mornings because I had a group that met at Friday, and I, I'd see these guys coming in the office, and you know they didn't want anybody to know that they were there. Um, and every single one of them were delivered from their depression because basically once they brought it out into the open, and they kind of sh- the, the light was sh- was uh, shined on it, 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 it began to lose its power, and they wow. began to realize you know it, they they kind of became a community. And several of them have said, if you'd ever like me to speak, when you have any of your big events, if you'd ever like me to speak, um, I'll be glad to do it. It's just a, a total transformation. That's really when it began to happen. Steve Singletary then came on, and uh, there are all kinds of problems and issues with marriage. And uh, we saw a need for that. And Jay was just covered up. I mean, he's at a point where he couldn't see anybody else. And so um, <clears throat> that's when we really began to take counseling very seriously. And we, we saw the great benefits that it could have for men. Yeah. I'm glad I asked that question. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> you know, practically speaking, Richard, how do these groups form? I mean, I know you, we've talked about how many of these groups are going on and how they yeah. do this. Uh, it sounds like there's no shortage of people wanting to be parts of this, but how, yeah. how does that form? How do people get involved with, with that? Well, there, the, uh, it's kind of interesting. There are two types of groups that we have. Um, we have uh, basically men's Bible studies, mm-hmm. all right? And um, I teach four groups of men. 
And it's they've grown, and we have it's they come live. We have a big conference room, and then we also have a lot on Zoom. And there's about 150 of them, and you can come any one of the four times. And we go through a book of the Bible, and I've been doing that for years, and I love it, and I think that's kind of part of my calling. But Jay has started. It's a great question you ask because some of your listeners might find yeah. this of interest. Um, Jay now has two or three groups that are helping men who struggle with. Uh, either depression or just uh, mental health issues, I guess the best way to put it. And it's it's booming. And a lot of it is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something very, and I'm, I'm just amazed at, at uh, some of the men that I see go in there uh, who are willing to step up to the plate and say, I, I need help. That's a big problem. So yeah. many men won't admit, I need help. Because again, they have this, I think, stereotype that real men don't need help. Wow. And a lot of times, you know, I feel like I'm in a counseling session. A lot of times, though, <laughs> you, you know, you, you don't, you feel, you can't tell your wife because you want to, you got to portray that image of being strong and in control and whatever, and you don't have somebody to talk to. And I think a lot of men don't have real close friends that they can sort of do that with. I'm sure that's something you see as well out there. That's a real problem is I think there's a real uh, a sense of loneliness that so many men experience because they don't have any other man in their lives that they can really um, open up and just bear their souls with Mm -hmm. and be real transparent. Um, One of the things that I've been blessed with is I have, in fact, we're meeting today, this afternoon. There's three, I have three close friends. We've been meeting for 10, 15 years. We try to meet, (coughs) excuse me, once a month. Um, We haven't probably done that, but um, we, we meet, we, share what's going on in our lives. We hold each other accountable. One of the first things I'll ask them is, has anybody been struggling, anybody been watching or struggling with pornography? And it's a great accountability to have. And so that's meant a lot to me. And I think every man need some other men in their lives to be able to do that with. But so many of them don't. I mean, I read a statistic. Most men don't even have one true friend. They have a lot of acquaintances, but they don't have anybody that they can bear their souls with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, this is all, I mean, this is really, really good. And I think it's, um, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people think of 1819 news and they think, you know, um, (laughs) politics news, you know, this and that, but man, our podcast, we have pastors on, we've had Terrell Kennedy on, we've had K. I mean, and, and what's really interesting that I think is starting to kind of almost become a theme of our, our show here, our podcast um, really is, 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 is men, right. And, and what is it that men can do to be better at the end of the day, at the root cause root, root of the, all the problems that we see. I mean, whether, you know, we can start talking, you know, taxes and all this other stuff, I would call those leaves. You can start to get into the branches of starting to see a lot of the social collapse of our society, right. cultural chaos. But when you really get down to the root, it is, it is a man issue. It is a husband issue. It is yep. a father issue. It is, um, you know, a, a male leadership problem that we have as a society. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that and kind of just to keep that going. We never really mean to, but we always end up here. Um, But, but talk about that. So when we look out at cultural chaos that we're seeing, we're seeing the transgender stuff, the homosexuality, the, I mean, just I'm 37 and I never thought I would see this stuff in my life. I can't imagine what you guys are (laughs) thinking. Um, But talk, talk kind of your, your perception Mm -hmm. of how this has come to be. I think where it all starts is when you're a, a, a little boy growing up. Yeah. Uh, how often do you think young boys hear 
from their fathers usually, you need to be a man. Yeah. You need to man up. Yeah. And that's fine and good, but if they have no idea what that means, I mean, I, I think in their mind it means don't cry. Yeah. Don't show your emotions. Yeah. But it's, it can be very confusing for a young, young boy as he's growing into adulthood to understand what, what is true masculinity. Uh, there's a guy named Joe Ehrman who uh, – uh, does these men's conferences. Uh, Joe was a former uh, all-pro football player with the Baltimore Colts. And in fact, we've had him here speak before. And um, Joe has these conferences for, for men, and he says he'll usually start a conference off by giving everybody a, a card and a pen. And he says, all right, I want everybody to write out their definition of true masculinity. What is that? And he says, they're all dumbfounded. He says, for some of them, it's like deer in the headlights. <laughs> uh, they, they don't know what to write. They, mm. don't, they don't write anything. It's your first day in math that, class in Swanee again. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what Joe says is what he's learned, because he works with teenagers. Um, he says, <clears throat> it starts as a, as a young man, usually out on the ball field, because everybody's competitive. He says, you begin to realize that the fastest kid or the kid that can throw the football, they were kind of, they're, they're looked up to. And, yeah. and he says, you just imagine when a young man, when, when, and I can remember doing this when I was a kid, we would choose sides. He says, have you ever thought about how that young boy feels who's always chosen last? Because everything is judged and I guess you could say measured by how well you do athletically. Yeah. He says, then you move to the teenage years. And it's so much of manhood, so to speak, is is determined or measured by how well you do with the opposite sex. Yep. And he says, and then nothing changes when you move on to adulthood. Yeah. Um, that ultimately, you know, you're judged on how successful you are and how much money you make. And 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 Ehrman puts it this way: you start with the ball field mm -hmm. to the bedroom to the bank account. Yep. And that's the way young men grow up, and that's how they measure their lives. Yep. And they're setting themselves up for major, major disappointment and even failure. Yep. And so that's, the, my, my, that's, that's something that I see. And so men need to learn how to raise their sons. Reason. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, that's it, and that's huge. And um, Vody Bachman was actually the first one uh, where I heard that concept. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Vody, but um, he talked about that. It, it begins with the ball field and goes to the bedroom, and then the billfold is yep. what he called yeah. it. Um, but yeah, um, and, and what I have found, and, and again, I've, I've far from mastered this. I have a 12 year old son who's wonderful. Awesome. I've actually got six kids. We're about to have our seventh. Um, and then I've got another son. Thank you. Um, we're pretty proud of it. We yeah. get weird looks. People ask us if we're Catholic, those type of things, <laughs> yeah. but you know, <laughs> well, I can relate. Yeah. I've been growing up with six. That's I mean, it. you know, um, <clears throat> and so my oldest son is great. And then I've got, um, a three-year-old son as well. And then the rest daughters, but my oldest son, you know, I really began to try and figure this out with him. And and I also was in prison and I had kind of a vision that God gave me that helped give me direction to come out of prison and reestablish my life. And I, and I share it with, with my oldest son, um, and, and kind of figuring out, giving him direction. It's not just yelling at him, not just telling yes. him to man up, not just yes. those things. And I think about it, if there was a ship that's floating in the ocean, like an old ship with the, the big sails and stuff, like an old, you know, warship. And if that ship doesn't have a destination and it just sits there, the waves and the wind are going to take that thing and crash it against the rocks and it's going to be destroyed. 
But if you give a ship a destination, those same that same wind and that same waves is actually going to take it somewhere and it's going to go. And I feel like if sons don't have a vision for what they're supposed to be, and I would argue a biblical vision Amen. of where, where they're supposed to go, they're going to be the ship that gets thrown against the rocks. But if yeah. you give that same ship a vision and say, this is where we're going. Yeah. And, and, and then, and then you also figure out if I have a, if, if I have a destination, when something happens, I know how to adjust so that I'm getting to where it is that I'm going. I think that is so spot on. I love what you just said. And in fact, that's one of the things that we've realized with the, uh, this new ministry, Renew Birmingham <clears throat> is one of the keys um, is for with young men, particularly is to give them a vision of what their life can possibly be. Amen. Because I think, and it's important for them to know and understand that if you don't get an education, if you don't go and find a job and earn a living wage, this is what happens to you To And we have a, I didn't even mention this. We have a prison ministry uh, that uh, we, we've learned a lot about men in prison. Um, but so many of these young men will end up either in jail or dead. Yep. And so we're trying to give them a vision of what life can be because the, the, the other two, those two alternatives are just, you know, they're dead ends, clearly. Yep. And there's a story in a lot of urban and poor communities. There's this weird culture, and it's even it's deeper in the South than it is <clears throat> where I've come from, but it's still there. Uh, but it's the story that they're being told is that, you you know, don't get above your raisin and you're never going to make it because you're black. That's literally. And like when I was yeah. in prison, like <clears throat> I was I was doing well, like it was obvious that I was trying to get out and stay out. Right. Yeah. And everyone who knew me knew that. And I had a black friend. Same thing. Um, he was trying to do well, you know, reading all the same books. We were, you know, accountability partners, good friend. And he would have other black guys come up and be like, yeah, he might make it, but you're never going to make it because you're black. And like he has, so not only did he have to yeah. deal with all of the other like yeah. challenges of getting out and changing your life. Just being in prison. Yeah. yeah. Then he's got that to deal with yeah. that I didn't have to deal with. And I was just like, oh wow. my goodness. And so, you know, that is, um, that's an, an, an added challenge of kind of that culture. And it's the story that we're being told, you know, the story that we're being told from, from childhood. And if we're told that we're victims and we're told that we're, you know, whatever. And we buy that, it's really hard to break. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy yes. because we believe it. And then we actually achieve what yeah. we believe. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I work on with my son that I tell him, and, and again, um, you know, uh, this is, this is what's so far worked. He's 12. Um, but the vision I think God gives, you know, for men is to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and exercise dominion over the call to cultural yeah. mandate. Right. Right. So I tell my son, okay, what is it that God expects you? And he says, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, exercise dominion over it. Okay, so how are you going to be fruitful? <laughs> He's like, well, I guess I got to get married. And I'm like, yeah. Because like, so what are we so really? It's like, what are we supposed to be working on today? Yeah. And so he's like, well, I guess I have to get married. And I said, okay, are you ready to get married right now? Well, no, sir. Okay, so what do you need to be doing so that you can get married? What 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 is the man? You know, because there's a man out there who has a daughter. You need to be the man that he's looking Absolutely. to marry his daughter. I said, so how can you start doing that? He says, well, I need to be able to, and this is, we call it the three P's. You need to be able to provide, you need to be able to protect, and you need to be able to purify. And so you need to start working on being able to provide first. And what's interesting is rather than how I've seen in my past and other kids that I've seen, you know, it's like, hey, you need to get off the video games and go take out the trash. Or you need to go mow the lawn. It's completely different with Brennan because he's looking at like, hey, you know, he's going to go weed eater. He's going to go do this physical yeah. labor because yeah. he's preparing to be a husband. Yeah. Yeah. It's a completely different mental yeah. shift for him. Because he he's seeing this as this good thing. God's created me to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to be a provider. This is going to make me a good husband one day. I'm going to be able to make money. It's been it's just different. 
So, well, yeah. I, I bet I, w- I would guess as he it's kind of like when I started studying and started learning, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you, when you, there's something about, cause God made us to be productive yeah. that when you, when he gets out and whether he does the weed eater or the cuts of grass, whatever, you know, there's something about that that's fulfilling. Yeah. But you got to get them to do that. Yeah. yeah. And just discovering it. And we talk about all kinds of different things. You know, we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago where we just talked about different philosophies of parenting and choices like so my son's 12 he doesn't have a cell phone don't plan to give him one we have no video games in our house love it you know what i mean but that's you know i'm considered like a a rabid psychopath (laughs) you know for making what seems like a pretty you know common sense decision for my kids but people think we're nuts and it's like well i've been thought i was nuts my whole life so i'll just keep going well you know it's funny you say that because uh and I, i thank my wife for this all the time because uh uh, we don't watch hardly any television. Yeah, it's not because of me. Yeah, it's because of her. And I've gotten used to that. Now I do yeah. watch sports. Yeah, I do watch sports. And uh, um, but what happens is we just went to the beach for a week, and we never turned on the TV. And I and then what I I never missed it. Yeah. I, we, so it's 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 as this happens with your son, he ain't gonna miss it, the phone. Yeah, he never had one. Yep. Yeah, that's it. I know we're, we're we're getting close to the end, but I do want to talk about your books a little bit, Richard, okay. because you've written a lot. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, let people know a little bit about the what inspires you to write, what you're hoping to accomplish, because it's, it's everything, as you said, from apologetics to, to right. manhood to, right. to sexuality. You've yeah. got a yeah. wide range of books you've written out there. Yeah, I think, thanks for asking that, Ray. Um, I, um, <clears throat> I feel like the books that I've written, uh, in one sense, uh, have been kind of a calling by God. I, I, I didn't, the only book that I really, I think, always intended to write was the one that's really the most recent about reflections on the existence of God. I, I worked on that for 25 years on and off because I thought it was so important. I, I particularly saw it as being important for my kids because um, I wanted a, an easy to read and easy to understand book. Then uh, I feel like I did that and it's, it's, it's done real well. Uh, so many of the books that I've written, like True Measure of a Man, um, this book on wisdom that I wrote, um, really came from from uh, talks that I've given. The True Measure, I gave five talks back you know, when the economy uh, blew up, and I had more people say, you need to convert that into a book. And so you know, I don't see myself as a great writer. I, I'm probably a better speaker. I, I'm, I, the gift that God has given me is I could take a subject and read 10 books on the subject and then take it and like write a term paper on it and mm-hmm. become a book comes a book. That's kind of why I'm gifted. I, I couldn't write fiction. Um, I have good editors that help it make it sound much better. Um, but when it gets right down to it, almost every single book that I've written, um, has somewhat of what I would call an evangelical bent to it. You know, whoever reads it, I want them to see their need for Christ. Mm. And so that's the ultimate uh, challenge and goal. And, um, you know, I, I never dreamed that I would have written this many books, um, but they just kind of, they, they, they've come as I prepare different topics, as God puts things on my heart. Um, I'm, I'm working on one right now. It's, it's going to be called Reflections on Happiness. And it's going to be a series of short essays like my last two books have been. Um, because I, I, I taught a series on this back in 2018 that the men that, that heard it were just really 
touched by it. And it was kind of one of those, you need to put this into a book. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing research on that. And uh, um, so that's kind of how they come about. You know, and one of the things I appreciate, one of the reasons I wanted to uh, ask you and I appreciate you being one of the first people to agree to write with us, because it's not, while it is theological, it's cultural. Right. You, you really spend a lot of time addressing these are issues we're dealing with. And I'm just curious Absolutely. as to sort of how you, how do you go about just sort of plugging into that culture and then, re, and the fact that you can relate it back. And again, a lot of times it's not your words, you're right. quoting C.S. Lewis or Timothy right. Keller or whoever right. it may be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really try. I, one of the, one of my goals is <clears throat> I, I try to read a lot what's going on in the, out in the secular world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I read the wall street journal every day. I read Barron's on, on Saturday, um, and I do watch the news some. And and then I read different uh, news publications, 1819. And um and so I try to take issues that are relevant and that are kind of current and and write on them, but also, you know, write really with a biblical perspective mm -hmm. on yeah. the, on the and, and that's been um that's been what I've attempted to do in a lot of my, my blogs, which so many of them end up, you know, in your mm -hmm. publication. So. And that's the thing that I, that first drawn me to that was well, is it doesn't come across like, oh my gosh, it's a religious track. Right. It's, I think one of the first things I read was here's the economy, here's what we're seeing in the economy, right. here's the culture, and then now at the end, hey, here's a biblical perspective right. of this. And that's kind of what I do. That's kind of what I try to do. Yeah, and I think that's just a great way that even if I'm not a Christian. I'm interested in these topics, and then you're providing, here's something to think about as a possible answer for what the issue is. Well, what you just said, that's, that's really what I try to do. Yeah, I think it works really well. And again, we've gotten a lot of great feedback uh, on your Saturday columns with, with what we've done. And I think that's been an important part, that it's not just, as I say, you're not hitting somewhere over here with the Bible. Right. You're saying, hey, here's an issue we're dealing with. Here's an answer to yeah. consider yeah. or possible. Yeah, and my goal is to is that it would be Whatever the, the content would be, would would really provide wisdom. Yeah, for the reader. So. Yeah, no, that's good. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it, I know I don't I don't want to hurry us out of, but yeah. where do people find your books? Let's talk about. Uh, well, I know you, he's got richardsimmons3.com. You can buy it there. You can go to our website, the the center. It's the centerbeham.com dot org. Excuse me. You can obviously buy them on Amazon. Um, there are other. Uh, I think there. Not all, everything is on Amazon. Everything's on our website. Um, and then there are other uh, Christian organizations that care, like yeah. Focus on the Family is carrying uh, reflections on the existence of God. So we have different organizations that are. Uh, but the easy way is Amazon, of course, or through the Center yeah. Beham. What dot, is it again? dot org. The org. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, we'll continue the conversation. I'm sure we'll, Great. we'll have you on again. Would love it. Would um, love it. It's a blessing. Thank you so much. I love what you guys are doing. Awesome. Okay. Glad to hear it. Thanks. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up for this week. As always, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. <laughs>